how many people are happy that, you know the song we just sang that says, I don't want to spend a moment without you. I hope you guys understand that that is impossible. It is, if you are in Christ, it is impossible that you would spend a moment without Christ. Because the Bible says that Jesus, we are in his hand, and nothing can take us out of his hand. So if you are in Christ, then that means that Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, you cannot spend a moment without him. You can spend a moment where you do not feel him, but he's always there. How many people are happy to know that Christ is always with you? There's a verse that is actually kind of mind-boggling. It says, when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. A lot of time we think of faith as something that depends on us. That, oh, if we're good, then God is going to be close to us. And if we're not good, then he's going to abandon us. But the reality is, it's not about us, it's about him. And he's going to remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. Because he said, I will never forsake you or abandon you. So in Christianity, we don't do things to be saved. We do things because we're saved. And that's what sets Christianity apart from other religions. Other religions you have to do and then hope when your day comes that whoever God you serve might be merciful enough to let you in heaven. Us is worse like, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came because we could not do it. And then Jesus did not only come, he sent us the Holy Spirit. He sent us the Holy Spirit to live with us. And so what I want to share with you this morning is that you shall receive power. Today is what day? If you know um, your calendar, you would know that today is Pentecost Sunday. Now we obviously celebrate, rightfully so, uh, Passover, or what in America they call Easter, um, as a crucifixion and the resurrection which is the most important um, Christian holiday or holiday overall, the resurrection of Christ. But 50 days after Christ rose, something special happened. And it was on Pentecost. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. Acts chapter, 6, chap, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. And so this is the last conversation that Jesus would have with his disciple while on earth. And so it goes like this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or reasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. God's word is already blessed. So this is the last time on earth that Jesus would have that conversation with, um, a conversation with his disciples. Typical of Christians, 
the disciples are engaged. They're, they're trying to ask Jesus questions, right? And, they, and we find that they, they, they are sidetracked. They're asking Jesus, oh, is it in this time or in that time that you will establish your kingdom? Now, this was probably around year 33, 34, 35 in, in the first century. Let me ask you this. What year are we in today? We're in 2021. So almost 2,000 years after that, we're still waiting on the coming of Christ. So the disciples, they were asking about something that was way beyond their understanding at that point, which is the full plan of God. How many times can we find ourselves and we, we're like the disciples where we are sidetracked, right? We ask questions about this and we ask questions about that, but we lose focus of what God has called us to do. So first they're sidetracked and then Jesus tells them, no, this is not your business. The Father has set a time for this. You need to be focused on what I'm calling you to do. And when Jesus comes, Jesus is lifted eye, then rather than to move on, they look up. And they stay stuck in, in seeing Jesus um, that, that was lifted up, right? And then so two men have to come in white robes, which probably signifies that they were angels, and say, hey, guys, wake up. He went. He'll be back. You guys need to focus. So a lot of times we find ourselves sidetracked, or sometimes we find ourselves stuck. We're stuck in a time. We're stuck. Uh, you can be stuck if you went through trauma and, and that, that bad episode and your, you, your body is growing, but your mind is still stuck five years ago when a bad thing happened to you. Or you might be stuck on a good thing. You experienced great success at a point, and now you're living off of the success of the past, and you, you, you're not growing, and you're not moving on anymore, so you're stuck. Or you're sidetracked. You're focused on this, and you're focused on that, but you're not focused on Christ. And so Jesus had to recenter them and tell them in one verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the extent of the world. And this right there is the mission of the apostle. He told them first, you're going to receive power. God was not going to send you on a mission without providing for you what you need for the mission. There's a saying that we say in French. It says, quand Dieu envoie, il pourvoit. When God sends, he, he provides. If God is sending you, he will provide for you what you need. And in this case, in the case, and in the case of the church, what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit. The word power is what we get dynamite from. And the word power means to be, to have, there's a big meaning, but the, in, in the essence is to have the capacity to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish. It is, and in, in another level is to be, not only have capacity to accomplish what you have to accomplish, but to, is to do even something more miracle more above what you would be able to do normally. A lot of times we engage in life and we're counting on our own strength and our own capacity. But when you work for God, you're not limited to your own power because you have power from above. And what we will find in the book of Acts, and this passage pretty much is, is kind of like a plan of the book of Acts, is that with the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the disciples of Christ did way beyond what they were supposed to do. They did beyond what they would have been capable of doing on, on their own. 
And so in that verse, Jesus has to refocus them on their mission, which is what? The Great Commission. And their mission is to go and make all nations disciples. It says, you will be my witnesses. And the word for witness is martyr. And in the sense of the passage, it means, it's kind of like if you guys watch those law shows, um, a lot of times the defense or the prosecution, they'll get a witness on the stand, and then they'll ask the witness questions, and the witness will have to say or declare what they have seen, what they have experienced. They'll say, yes, he was there, that was him, I saw him. And then basically that was the job of the apostles. Their job was only to go and declare and proclaim what they had seen. They didn't have fancy degrees. They didn't have, they were not part of the Pharisees. They were not part of the Sadducees. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were, one of them was a terrorist, really. But under Christ, they had one mission now, was to declare what they have seen and heard from Jesus Christ. And with the, so with the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to do things that are beyond your, your, your understanding. And so, Next chapter, chapter 2, they're all together in the, what they call the, the, high, the upper room. And they're all together and they're doing one thing. They're doing one thing. They're praying. They're praying together and they're spending time seeking the face of God. And on the day of Pentecost, now that's just a parenthesis so you understand. The Jewish, they had several holidays that if you were Jewish, you had to come to Jerusalem. You had Passover and then you had Pentecost was one of those holidays. So which means what they were going through at that time was prepared from even the be- the, before the beginning of time. So follow with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty wind, rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were where they were sitting, and and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the first miracle of the church. The first miracle that God ever did was to allow the disciple to speak. Now, if I take you back to chapter 1, what did Jesus say their mission was going to be. He says, you will be my witnesses. And as a witness, what is it that you have to do? You have to speak. You have to, 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 to declare. And so the first miracle, he didn't heal a sick person. He didn't, I mean, they just, they just saw a few days prior, Jesus go up. He, maybe Jesus could have had them go up. Can you imagine Peter be over the city of Jerusalem and say, hey, ye sinners. And then that would be awesome. But that's not what God did. The first miracle that God did was to allow them to speak. And since there were people from all different areas, so they were all Hebrews or or people that converted to Judaism, but they were from all over the world. From all over the world, they were there gathered. So what God did as a miracle, he allowed them to speak, and then they would hear it in their own language. And then that was like, how are these guys uneducating speaking to me in Spanish? How are they speaking to me in Creole? You ever saw a white guy speak Creole? How do you feel when that happens? Like, man. I, I remember, like, uh, I, I was at the flea market one time, and this white guy, man, he's talking Creole. He's talking Creole better than me. 
Like he's talking like that deep Creole. And I'm like, man, you grew up in Haiti? He's like, no, nah, man, I grew up in the hood. So with the guys in the hood, that's where he picked up the language. But when you see somebody um, talking a language that they're not supposed to, you're like, whoa, this is impressive. What's happening? There was a guy I knew. He was black, actually. And um, he was from Africa. And his parents were diplomats. So at a certain point of his life, he lived in China. So he was in New York, and he was sitting on the bus. And it, that's his version. And two um, Chinese girls come on the bus, and they start talking in Chinese, right? They start talking about him. Say, oh, look at him. Oh, man, he's so cute. And da, 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 in Chinese. And he's sitting there, and he's understanding because he lived in China. So when he gets on the bus, he goes, shishe, uh, which means, I guess, thank you. And then they're all surprised because you wouldn't expect a black guy to speak Chinese. But that was the first miracle of the gospel was for them to speak in languages that they did not understand. And what that signified is that now God was calling all the nations back to him, which is their mission. What is their mission? Go and make all nations disciple. So right there in that first miracle, God is showing his intent. He had, if you remember, if we go back to, to Genesis, what happened? Where did the language come from? They were trying to get and be like God, so he broke them apart with the Tower of Bible with languages. So now he's trying to get everybody back, but the right way through Jesus Christ by speaking to each one in their own, in their own language. And that is how the first, third, first church start. Actually, on that day, Peter preached a message and 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people came to Christ that day. And they were from, they were Hebrews, but they were all from all over the world. And they came to Christ. And that's how the first church starts. But what we find in the book of Acts is that every time that the church expands, it is preceded by trials. Every time that the church expands, it is preceded by a period of trials and tribulation. And, and that flies in the face of a lot of times when we're Christian, we think that everything is going to be fine and everything is going to be dandy. But I want to tell you, you might be right mad dabs in the will of God and things are hard. You might be doing what God has called you to do, but it, it, it might still be hard. The fact that you're going through challenges doesn't mean that God is punishing you necessarily, and it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. We need trials to be able to grow. And I'm going to ask you to follow with me in Acts chapter 5, verse 27 to 32, and then we jump. And now the church is established, and the church is growing, and now it, 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 it's all over Jerusalem. And so they, 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 they arrested Peter and John, and Peter and John were, were the top guys at, at the time. I mean, they were like so filled of the power of the Holy Spirit that they would walk, and somebody would be lame, meaning they, they can't stand. They had their handicap, and, and Peter would say, I don't have money. I don't have gold, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and the person would get up and walk, and, and that, would, that would, whoa, everybody saw the guy. Imagine you see a guy, and he's a paraplegic, and you see him every Sunday in front of the church, but one Sunday, you see the guy is walking. And that's the power of God. And, and these guys, Peter and John, they were so filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the, the leaders of, 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 of the city, the, the religious leaders, they didn't know what to do. So they, they arrested them. And so now we're in Acts chapter 5. And it says, and when they had brought them, meaning um, John and Peter, Peter and John, 
they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you are, filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Because they were, they were preaching the gospel, saying that you guys killed Jesus, but now he rose from the dead. Now, parenthesis, if you remember uh, what happened with Pilate, and Pilate says, I don't, I mean, I don't think this guy is guilty. And they said, what? Let his blood be upon us and our children. But now they, they, they don't want that. They say, no, this blood is not on us. Close the parenthesis. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. And God exalted him and his, at his right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And Peter, which had denied Christ in front of a little girl back 50 days ago, 53 days ago. Now he's standing before the council and he's standing bold. How is he able to stand boldly? It's only one reason. It's because now he has the power of the Holy Spirit. There are some challenges that you go through. You can't go through them by your, on your own. You cannot surmount them on, on your own. But you can surmount them with the power of the Holy Spirit. With the comfort of the Holy Spirit. With that partnership with God. One of the most faithful prayers you could do is say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. So you take over. You take over. It's like that, that song they have, Jesus, take the wheel. And so what would happen if we jump to verse 40? It says, and when they, so the, the, the council had a little conversation without the apostles, and then they're calling them back, and they says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, and as in mind-blowing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, meaning the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And, and so what we find is Peter and the apostles when it was the, the crucifixion, they had to run away. They could not face that challenge. They were not ready to die. They were, so they left Jesus by himself. They left Jesus take everything by himself. But now with the power of the Holy Spirit, they're not only able to stand, but they, they said, when they said they beat him, you guys know what it means because you saw how they beat people back in the day. It, they, they beat you with the, like what you see in the Passion of the Christ. But somehow... They were able to find rejoicing in that because that meant for them that they were worthy to, to suffer for the name of Christ. How many people, when something bad happens to you, you're like, you're happy? You're happy? No, that doesn't happen. That is a supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit that when you go through hardship, when you go through something that breaks other people, you find yourself to be stronger. And what we find in, in, in Peter and John's life is that they had external problems. They had 
outside was a mess. Like people, the, the, the council, the government of the time was after them. But inside was strong. Outside was, was a problem, but inside was strong. And we need, I need, we need to be a generation that we're not just about what's happening on the outside. But we need to be a generation that is strong on the inside. Because you can't always control what happens to you. But you can control how you respond to those situations. You can't control what arrows are sent your way. But you can control if you're strong enough to take the arrows. It's kind of like health, right? Why is two people going into a place and one person is going to get sick and the other is not going to get sick? It's your immune system. If your immune system is strong, then you can take what the environment throws at you. But if your immune system is not strong, then then you can't take it. The invite this world, Jesus said, we're going to have tribulations. You're going to have tribulation. It's inevitable. But do you have the strength on the inside to face those tribulations? And that strength comes from the Holy Spirit. The only thing that separates Peter now from Peter then at the cross or at the crucifixion was the coming of the Holy Spirit. There was a story that they say um, there was this um, black guy. He was sitting on the bus. And he's sitting on the bus, and three white guys come in. And so it's one black guy, three white guys. And the white guys, they come, and they start cracking jokes. They start cracking jokes because they're trying to pick a fight. right? So they're cracking jokes. They're cracking jokes, you know, racial slurs and all of that. And, and the guy, he stays sitting down. He's sitting down. And when he, he, he don't react, he don't say nothing, he don't respond. And when he gets up, they're like, oh, snap. He's bigger than they thought. And he goes, he walks, and then he hands them his business card. And his business card goes and says, Joe Louis Boxer. So it turns out that guy was Joe Louis, which would become the single number one boxer ever, ever. And that list number two is Muhammad Ali. He would become the heavyweight champion of the world, defend, and he would be champion for 11 years, defended his title 25 times. And so on that bus, when the guys were making jokes of him, at any point, if he would have gotten mad, he could have stopped it. Because one punch would knock him out. But he showed more strength on the bus than he did on the ring. Because it took more strength for him to not do anything when you know you have the power to do something than when you're fighting for your life in the ring. How many of us, if we knew we could have started, we would have, we, you know, we would have started some and think that that's strength. Strength is not doing what your flesh wants. Strength is doing what the Holy Spirit wants you to do when he wants you to do it. And there's some challenge that we face that we cannot overcome by ourselves, but we can overcome with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't control what's coming around you. You can, control, you can only control what's on the inside. But what do you do when the problem is on the inside itself? Follow with me in chapter 5 and 6. The chapter, sorry, chapter 6. Now we find ourselves that the church of Jerusalem grew. 
And in the Church of Jerusalem, you had two groups. One was called, well, I'll call it the Greeks. So those are the, the Hebrews, but they grew up speaking Greek. And then you had the Hebrews that grew up speaking Hebrew. And now they're having racial tensions. Chapter 6 says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, which means the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of people of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will, or we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, when they, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a pro, 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 proselyte from Antioch. These they, they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to faith. So they had this situation where you had the Greeks, you had the Hebrews, and the Greeks are feeling like, oh, you guys are not taking care of us. Our widows are being, and the, and then are being neglected. And the, the apostles are like, well, we have to preach, we have to pray, and now we have to serve the table. Now remember, I told you it was like 3,000 people got saved. So how is 12 guys serving 3,000 people, I, I, don't, I don't know. And these, so the, you have on one side, the apostles were overwhelmed, and then you have the other side, the Greeks were neglected. But they come together and they had a discussion. Rather than to leave the church, rather than to break, they got together and, and they, they discussed it, right? And they found a solution that would be beneficial for everyone. How many people know you would get further if you were able to just, you know, have a conversation? So, okay, how, what, how can we solve this? And they solved it by choosing people from that very group that were neglected. And so out of this rose Seven men of God filled with the Spirit. And that's when the ministry of the deacons was, was born. So you see the guys that distribute the, uh, um, the Lord's Supper on first Sunday when we had it. That's where that comes from. Those are the deacons. And that's the passage where that ministry was born. So, but two men came out of that, Stephen and Philip. Stephen and Philip. Stephen was so filled with the Holy Spirit when he started to preach. You'll see that it says here, and the word of God continued to increase, which was the goal, right? To be a witness. So it started, it continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests. So those are religious leaders now. Now they're, they're converting to Christianity. Uh, uh, many of priests became obedient to the faith. So now it's starting to cause trouble because now even amongst the religious people, People are converting to Christianity. But you see how they had that strife on the inside. 
because they were able to resolve it, then you have another section of increase. So you go through trials, and now you can have trials on your inside. But I want to tell you, yes, you have trial on the inside, but that trial is to set you up for where you're going. So what you're going through is to prepare you for what you're going to. And we see that they were able to grow out of that trial. But then something happens. They arrest Stephen, and they bring him in front of the council, and, and they're trying to intimidate Stephen, but Stephen is full with the Holy Spirit. So now he's not intimidated, and he starts declaring chapter 7 of Acts, chapter 7 of the book of Acts. He goes through the whole history of Israel, all the way to show that Jesus is the Messiah, and you guys crucified him, and you all need to repent and receive Jesus Christ. Now, the council was so touching their heart that they all got saved. Now, that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. Actually, they got pissed. They got so pissed that they decided to kill him. And we find that if you follow with me in Acts 7, 50, 50, 54, it goes like this. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And failing to his knees, he cried. He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. And if we jump in chapter 8, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men, buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the, the church and entering the house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So you have a man full of the Holy Spirit like Stephen, and he's standing in front of the council, and he's preaching a great message, and you would think that the people of the council would, would repent. They would change. No. They, they dug their heels, and then they, they decided to not only that, not to put him in jail, but they decided to kill him. How many people know you could do the exact right thing that you're supposed to do and people still don't like you? You could be right there in the will of God and people still hate on you. And the problem of our generation is that we're seeking approval from people. We're, proving, we're seeking approval from people so we lower our principles so that we could be approved by other people. I'm telling you today, you don't need to be approved by nobody. You only need to be approved by God. That's the only approval that you need. Forget what other people are saying about you. Forget what your homegirls are saying about you. You need to be concerned about what Jesus is saying about you. You need to be concerned about what the Father is saying about you. I don't care what this government says about me. I don't care what this society says about me. I care only about what Jesus says about me. 
because he's the one that reigns. So society can change all at once. It doesn't matter to me. It matters the word of God. Jesus is the only thing that matters. And you'll notice when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen looked up and what did he see? He saw the Son of Man. Like how many people would like to see the Son of Man? He saw heavens open. The people around him, their eyes were closed, they can't see. But Stephen was able to see the Son of Man. And all throughout Scripture it tells you the, the Lamb is seated on the throne. The Lamb is sitting on the throne. But at that moment, people... Uh, Stephen said, I saw the lamb stand. He was standing. It's almost like, you know, when you have a, 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 a dignified person coming, what do you do? You stand so you can receive him. And so at the darkest moment in Stephen's physical life, it was his brightest moment in his spiritual life. Yes, everything around him was going down, but he was seeing the face of God. If everything around you was going down, but if you could see the face of God, you're going to be okay. Yes, the body can perish, but the soul will thrive if you can see the presence of God. And when Jesus was standing up, you can see like, it's almost like he's getting ready. Stephen is going to come so he can hug him and say, come into the presence of your master. Now, I'm sure at that time, Stephen's friends are like, God, why are you allowing this to happen to Stephen? Why would you let Stephen? He's one of the more faithful ones. I mean, if you're going to take somebody, take Nicanor. Nobody knows who he is. But Stephen, I mean, this guy, why would you take Stephen? It's because we limit ourselves to our physical existence. We think that that's it. But for God, our physical existence is just an iPhone. It's just a period of our existence. Your existence will continue when your body is gone. So some of the things that happen here, God has a purpose. And we see this purpose. There was a guy that was there. And that guy, he was young. He was, he, but he was, it's, it's like one of those, you ever see somebody that's in corporate America and they're like 22, but they're like VP of something. Like he's like, he's young, but he's super high in the ranks. So much that people come and they put their garments at his feet and they seek his approval. And he says, yes, kill him. Yes, that's good. And then he goes out and, and he keeps doing more and more and more and more killing. And but guess what? Through this, pay attention a little bit. In verse one of chapter eight, it says, and there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. What was Jesus? Jesus told them their mission. What was their mission? To be his witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now, they had got so much success in Jerusalem, they forgot Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. They weren't moving. They were having fun. How many people know sometimes when you're having fun, you don't want the fun to stop? Sometimes when you're, you're having, and God has a purpose for you, so sometimes he has to make the fun stop. Sometimes he has to allow persecution so that you get up and you get going. And you even see it sometimes, you look at some of the athletes. A lot of them came from hardship. They came from single, poor mother homes, and they had nothing else. So they had to fight. They had to fight. They had to fight. And then they become great athletes. Some of the hardship that you're going through is only to make you stronger. 
It's only to make you stronger. So the apostles, they once again got distracted. They were so focused on Jerusalem that they forgot that God's plan was not only for Jerusalem, but for Judea and Samaria. Maybe you find yourself that you're stuck. You find yourself that things are not going right. Maybe it's because you're so focused on your Jerusalem that you lost sight of your Judea, and God has to refocus you so that you can expand. And so through that hardship, once again, the word grew. And now it went out of Jerusalem into Judea and into Samaria. And one of the the key person that was leading that effort was Philip. One of the seven that was out of the previous challenge that rose up, Philip. Now he's in Samaria and he's preaching so much that now he's like, whoa, wow, this is getting too big for me. He calls Peter and Peter comes and, and the Holy Spirit comes in Samaria And then the Holy Spirit tells Philip, go on the side of the road. And there's a guy I want you to talk to. And there's a a guy, he's from Ethiopia. And then Philip has a conversation with that Ethiopian. and, um, And the Ethiopian gets saved. And he baptizes him. And the Ethiopian now goes to Ethiopia to spread the gospel. So now you're starting from Jerusalem to, to Judea to Samaria to now it's starting to go to the ends of the, of the earth. And in that effort towards the end of the book, or to, from the rest of the book, so then you have Philip preacher the Ethiopian, and he goes to Ethiopia, and then there's an Italian, Cornelius, and then Peter goes to preach to him, and now the gospel starts to spread and then Paul comes and God, God touches Paul. So the, the guy who was the murderer now becomes the preacher. And now he had done so much damage to the church. Now he's trying to compensate and he becomes the most hardworking apostle of them all, the apostle Peter. And he spreads the gospel all throughout the region. All throughout the region he preaches the gospel. He goes, and, and, and so... This is important that you understand. When you read the book of Acts, it's the link between the Gospels and and the Epistles. So you see Romans, you see Corinthians, you see Ephesians, Galatians, and all those books. Those are churches or people that were founded or saved in the book of Acts. So it's the link between the two. And so we find that Paul and his companions, they preach the Gospel all throughout the area. But now it comes towards the end that Paul has to go to Jerusalem. So follow with me in Acts chapter 21, verse 8 to 14. He says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip. So now it's coming in circle. Philip, the evangelist, the guy who got, became a deacon, that's him. The evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him, he had four unmarried daughters and prophesied, no parenthesis. So now Paul, which condoned the killing of Stephen, Philip's friend, he's staying at Philip's house. Only God can do something like that. How many people know God can redeem relationships? How many people know that God can take a bad situation and turn it around and make it into a good situation? He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt 
and bound him and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem would, will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So Paul is with Philip, and the daughters are prophesying. So it's like a house that's full of the Holy Spirit. And a prophet comes, and that prophet has been shown to be a true prophet. Elsewhere in the, in the book of Acts, you would see that he made a prophecy and it happened. So that is a true man of God. And he's coming to, to Peter, and he takes uh, to Paul, and he takes Paul's belt. And then binds his own and says, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. Everybody's telling Paul, don't go, you don't have to do it. How many of us would have taken that, okay, you know what? Thank you, Jesus, for showing me I'm not going to Jerusalem. We would have backed out. If you would have backed out, say amen, don't lie, you're in church. Amen. We would have backed out. But Paul says, you know what, guys? Don't break my heart. Not only am I not backing out, I'm not backing out. I'm willing to go, not only to prison, and to die for Christ if I have to in Jerusalem, because that's where he felt that he had to be. He felt, so, so Paul was one that would always go forward in, in spite of the hardship. What we do sometimes, we, we go in, in a direction, but when we face hardship, then we back out. We go in, in, in a project, but then it becomes hard, then we back out. Paul was like, not only am I not gonna back out, I'm even willing to go even further. And so what would happen later, he would go to Jerusalem. They would, like the prophet did, they would try him. They would, they would bind him and all of that. And one night, Paul is there, and then Jesus appears to him. And he tells him, Acts 23, 11. It says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And what would end up happening is Paul was a Roman citizen. So as a Roman citizen, there's certain things you could do and not do to him, and there's certain rights that he had, and then what he would do, he would, throughout his trials, he would then say, guys, you guys beat me up. I'm a Roman citizen, and I want to talk to Caesar. So because he appealed to Caesar, now they have to take him from Jerusalem to Rome. So that you understand, Jerusalem, that is the center of spiritual life. That's Jerusalem. But Rome is the center of political life. So now he goes on a journey from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, and then he preaches to the people at Rome. And that's how the book of Acts ends. And so it ends with what? The gospel. Yes, it started in Jerusalem. Yes, it went to Judea. Yes, Samaria. But now it's at all the ends of the earth where Paul is in, in Rome. And it says this in Acts chapter 28, the last verses of the book. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years and in, at his own expense 
and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the man that was persecuting the church now is leading the church and leading the church to the ends of the earth. But that was God's plan. And sometimes when we go through some things, we're so short-sighted, and, and that's normal. We don't see the full God's plan. That's why we say, if you can't see his hand, trust his heart. If you don't understand what God is doing in your life, but at least trust his heart. Because you know that he will take you to where you need to go. We see in the, in the life of the church that, yes, they had trials from the, the outside. And Peter and John, they stood firm. Yes, they had trials on the inside. And they found a solution. And then that rose up Stephen and Philip. And they were able to expand the gospel. Through the trials, the gospel got expanded. But then they killed Stephen. But while they killed Stephen, Saul was a witness. And, and, and just to understand... Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. Luke was one of Paul's companions. So that event that he's talking about, Stephen, yes, he could have gotten the facts from other people, but I'm pretty sure that part, he got some of it from Paul. That that event marked Paul's life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3:17-18 he says now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another to another for this comes from the lord who is the spirit and certainly in paul's life he lived it he lived where you could see you know, he went from persecuting the church to being the preacher of the church. But, and he lived it in his life. But before he lived it in his life, he witnessed it in Stephen's life. He witnessed it. If we go back to the text where Stephen passed, died, what does it say? It says, Stephen looked and saw heaven open. So he had his eyes on Christ. And this text says, you know, with our eyes being, we behold the glory of the Lord. Meaning we, we look at the Lord. We're transformed. And then the prayer that Stephen did, he said, Lord, don't put this sin upon them. Who made that prayer before Stephen? Jesus on the cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And then Stephen goes and says, Lord, don't put this sin upon them. They don't understand what they're doing. Stephen had become like Christ. And the goal of the Holy Spirit is for us to look to Christ and then transforming us day by day so then we can look like Christ. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Paul, certainly he lived it in his life, but he witnessed it in Stephen's life first. And that's the thing with, with the, the gospel, is that the gospel... The apostles, they signed it. They signed the gospel with their blood. They did not only preach the word, they lived it, and they lived it to the point of death. They lived it to the point of death. All of the apostles, except one, died a martyr's death. And so the word martyr that we saw in the beginning means to be a witness, to speak. 
But now, over time, it changed. It changed to mean what? It changed to be somebody who dies for their faith. It's somebody that's suffering for their faith. Where do we get that from? We get that from them. It's because they were witness in speaking, but they were also witness in dying. They were speaking the word of God, but then they gave their life, and all of them died. And so we find Matthew died. So if we look at the map of where they died, the different apostles, it's, it's a little small, you can't see, but you will see that Matthew and Matthias died in Ethiopia. Peter and Paul died in Rome. Thomas died in India. Simon the Zealot died in Great Britain. And that's just to name a few. So what do you see? They died all over the world. So by the time that they were done with their ministry, with their part of God's plan, God's plan went be, goes beyond that. But when they were done with the, the gospel had spread throughout the, the known world, without, throughout the world that they knew at the time. So they were right on their way to accomplish the Great Commission. And now if we look at today, Christianity by country, if you look at the map of the world, you will see this is Christianity all over the world. Now, it's a lot more than obviously 2,000 years ago, but there's a lot of work to do. And that work is for us to do. Peter, John, Stephen, Philip, Paul, they're gone. Today, it's our job to bring the gospel to those places that don't have it yet. Now, throughout the centuries, men and women of God brought the gospel all over the world. But now it's our time, it's our generation time to bring the gospel where it needs to go, to bring the gospel to our work of place, to bring the gospel into our families, to bring the gospel to other countries that, that, that don't know him yet. But that shows to what? That shows what? That shows that God had a plan. When he gave them the great commission, the fishermen, the 12, they did not even know that America existed. They did not even know that South America existed. They did not know Australia existed. So they did not understand fully the magnitude of the plan of God. The right now in the world, there's about 2 billion people that call themselves Christians. So when God is calling you to do something, you don't see the magnitude of what God is calling you to do. You don't see the importance of what God is calling you to do. And sometimes, a lot of times, God is not going to show you the whole picture. He's just going to show you the next step. But if you can trust him with the next step, he will take you to where you need to go. If you can just trust him with what you have to do next, that's all you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about 2,000 years from now. That's he, he's worrying about that. You just have to worry about being obedient with the next step. And then he's going to see it through. You know, there's a song that C.C. Winans has. It says, it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. It goes like this. Don't think for a moment I never felt the pain. You can't imagine the hurt and the shame. They put the nails through my hands, pierced my side. Please understand, it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. I didn't have to do it, but I did it anyway, because I really love you so much I took your place. I died for your sins. Yes, I'm the one. Don't take it lightly, what I've done. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. That's from the perspective of Christ. 
Then the apostles came. They lived. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, like the beatings, the persecution. But we're here today because they stood firm. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. So what you're going through right now, it's not easy. But in Christ, it is worth it. God bless you.